Greetings, ladies and gentlemen. Thank you so much for tuning in to the You Can Do It Too podcast. My name is Mamadou Balde, and I'm your host. This podcast has two objectives. To provide a platform for minority professionals to share their inspiring stories and to inspire minority students to believe that their options are unlimited and that they can be whoever they desire to be. I hope this podcast ignites that fire inside of you and pushes you to strive to be the best you. On this podcast, I will be bringing minority guests from a variety of professions, engineering, medicine, entrepreneurship, law, business, etc., who will be sharing their journey to where they are today with you. I hope that these stories will inspire you to believe that whatever your goal or your dream is, you can do it too. What up, what up? Thank you so much for tuning in. In this episode, I welcome my brother, Benjamin Contese. He grew up in Miami, Florida, and then for some reason, he decided to go to college at Carnegie Mellon in Pittsburgh where he studied chemical engineering and minored in computer science. Then he came back to the best state, Texas, to work as an engineer in the oil and gas industry. He honed his programming skills and recently decided to take on a job that focuses just on that. So he became a software engineer at Bliss Point Media. Ben is a product of an amazing, caring, and supportive family that you will hear about in this episode. They molded him into this amazing being. For me, he's a friend, a mentor, and an inspiration. Tune in. How are you doing right now uh, with everything that is going on around the world? Uh, How are you doing? Yeah, I mean, it's an understatement to say that it's a stressful environment for everyone, right? And we're all just trying to make the most of what we can. I keep saying that I'm cautiously optimistic for the future, especially Mm -hmm. with the kind of ramping up of vaccinations, especially in the United States, but even around the world to some degree. Um, But in general, I definitely have felt the stresses, especially this last year. Um, Mm -hmm. There's definitely been some like pretty low lows, but it's also kind of important to keep it in perspective and try to focus on the like more positives that you can. an example of that being able to come visit my family right now, right? Spend the week that I am with them. Um, and since everybody's kind of work from home, I have the opportunity to see them a little bit more so than I would have been able to otherwise, right? So it's kind of picking and choosing what you want to focus on. Definitely. And I feel like with everything that happened in 2020, right, is the, seeing the vaccines definitely a lot of hope for so many people uh, around the world, even though the United States seems to be bugging <laughs> all the vaccines. <laughs> everybody else is not getting us enough but right anyway i feel like with all the things that happened in 2020 we have the people us the people who are getting the chance to leave in 2021 is a blessing and uh, it's so much grace what are you grateful for right now i'm grateful for i mean above everything my family right i definitely rely on them a lot and i really do appreciate um all the people in my life through my family. So like extended to all the significant others and all of that. Um, I'm very grateful for my girlfriend. Again, as you as you call her my queen. Um, <laughs> I definitely feel very grateful that um, we kind of 
I found each other at this point in our lives and are able to help each other grow. Um, I'm also grateful, again, as you probably already know, for this kind of next chapter in my life, the way I see it. Mm -hmm. um, the ability to, again, kind of explore a specific part of my scope set as a professional that I may not have been able to do so otherwise. And also to move to this like whole other city and begin just like, again, trying out a whole new city and figuring out what my life there looks like, right? So again, going to New York City and figuring out um, how to balance like work and being in that kind of environment and also mm -hmm. what stuff is around me in terms of restaurants and like fun stuff to do on the weekends and all that good stuff. That's amazing. Talking about that, that next chapter of your life, what, what were you doing before and where are you going next? Sure. So for the last year and a half um, of my life right now, uh, most of that being in the pandemic, but uh, my first job out of college was working at ExxonMobil as an optimization engineer within this production planning and optimization uh, group. And essentially my like core set of responsibilities revolved around this tool set that we use, manage and leverage in order to actually build a ton of smaller comport components of these larger optimization models. So as I was described as like the go-to guy for anything Python related. And though yeah. that may be true to a certain degree, like I have a lot to, I have a lot of places to go as was very apparent in some of like my interviews while I was interviewing, they would ask me some questions and I'd be like, listen, I know I should probably know a lot of this stuff, but again, I've just not been challenged to have to know most of that kind of stuff. But um, again, I was still able to really grow, if not so much so the like nitty gritty technical details. Mm -hmm. I am very fortunate in that a lot of my role revolved around communicating with people and figuring out what it is that they actually needed, whether it's solving an issue or creating additional functionalities and stuff like that. I wasn't as much like trapped in a little box and just told mm -hmm. to go do something. I did feel as though I had a lot of um, individuality and freedom to kind of make something my own instead of just being put into a box and told like, hey, go off and do this thing. Um, but, and then focus, like sh shifting gears a little bit towards the future, um, again, my last day at Exxon was this last Friday. So kind of bittersweet. Again, I have my reasons for leaving, but I still definitely feel as though I have made really strong connections um, with the people at ExxonMobil. Mm. And I will always hold a very special place in my heart. But then like going forward, I'm very, very excited for like this new opportunity opening up to me, um, being able to go from this very, very large kind of like very inertia surrounded machine of ExxonMobil and instead going to a startup, right? So the startup mm -hmm. that I'm joining is around 70 to 80 people and I'm joining the engineering team as a software engineer. So another kind of level to that is within ExxonMobil, I was kind of this fake software engineer. I was this like optimization engineer by name, but really everything I was doing was kind of software related. Meanwhile, now it's going to be very like from a high level down, just fully software engineering with all the roles mm -hmm. and responsibilities that come with that as well as being part of a team that is also doing the same kind of stuff. So people that I can rely on a little bit more, be able to like um, collaborate with a little bit more. So at least on the creation of tools and functionalities, the way that I was kind of doing more or less by myself at Exxon. So mm -hmm. definitely very excited for that. And also for the ability to grow with this company, it mm -hmm. would kind of feel within ExxonMobil that no matter how much you add, you're really only like, very, very small drops in the bucket of like this, again, large machine. Whereas mm -hmm. now, again, 70, 80 people, every little thing you do is going to create a massive difference when compared to like tens of thousands of employees on the other hand, right? So that aspect of it is uh, very, 
both scary and very um exciting for me. Definitely, definitely. One quote that I heard not too long ago is the idea of if you if whatever you are doing, if you are working hard for the company, you will be rich. But if you are working hard for yourself, you will be wealthy. And what I get out of that is the idea of when you are working hard for yourself, yes, you will benefit for the company, but you are focusing on learning as much as you can to add value to yourself. You are trying to make yourself more reliable, more marketable, and make sure that people are going to need you no matter where you go. I came in uh, Exxon very late, and uh, I noticed, even though you were one of the young people, but people looked up to you. People looked up to your work. Right? You were reliable, and I feel like many people miss that. They come to the company, right, and they do not have the confidence to identify a niche or something that they want to do and really work on that so hard so they are the main person people mm. go to, right? And I feel like, talk about that. How did, what was your mindset? How, what mindset made you, told you that this is something that you want to do and this is my focus? Sure. I guess it's like essentially a two-part answer. The first mm. part being... I got into this group and they mentioned we create this tool set that really enables us to do most of our work. I'm like, okay, cool. That's kind of what I'm into. Like I'm a chemical engineer by trade, but a lot of my background was in taking computer science classes. And that's the kind of problems that I would enjoy solving. Even as soon as I was out of college, even while I was in college, I realized that's the kind of work I really wanted to do. Um, so even within my first couple of months, like I was like, if issues come up, like I want to figure out what it is. And like, I kind of want to, deep dive into this tool that exists already to some degree, but it's still constantly evolving. And then as I work with it, I realized like, wow, this tool is like really kind of like shoddily put together. Like it's not all there yet. So there's a lot of room for it to get better. And me as like, kind of like solution oriented, driven to make like products that not only work, but work well in terms of people actually using it. Because what I see a lot of the time, especially from engineers that aren't focused on like a user experience is you can create the best tool in the world but it doesn't matter at all if nobody uses it. It doesn't matter at all if it constantly breaks or if it's like impossible to get through this like learning barrier just to get the tool to work or get the tool to do what you want it to do. Mm -hmm. And so with that kind of in mind, I was like, okay, like I can really start taking this tool into my own hands. And like at that point, a lot of the responsibilities were starting to transition over to me because mm -hmm. it kind of embodied a bunch of different aspects of the tool. And I was like, listen, this is where I can thrive. This is where I can do the best that I can. And mm -hmm. I would find like, aspects of this tool that I can make better, make work run a little bit more smoothly, run a little bit faster, again, from the background that I already had, as well as my interest of where I knew I wanted to get to. Mm -hmm. And the other aspect of that, again, like kind of two-part answer is going into a company like ExxonMobil, you want to figure out where you can make your impact. But like at times you could be a little hesitant, like, right? You don't know like how far to step. You don't know like where the boundaries should be. So in that respect, I really do appreciate the kind of leadership that I got to look up to, at least our immediate leadership. So our group lead, as well as our technical lead, really gave me the ability to make it my own and not really like force me to go down any certain route. They more or less trusted my quote unquote expertise because nobody else really had that kind of background besides me, right? So like, yeah. who am I to, who, am, who are they to impose their kind of expectations onto me when I, for lack of anybody more kind of experience in this field, am the expert in that point in time. So that kind of allowed me to, again, like I mentioned before, just make this tool my own and make this position something that like I could see myself thriving in because a quick like tangent there is 
a lot of positions within ExxonMobil would not have given me the opportunity to do that. There's a lot of positions at ExxonMobil yeah. that really don't um, rely on the kind of skill set that that allowed me to excel at. And it's just a very fortunate twist of fate that that's where I was placed and placed there in a time where someone like me was really needed. And at least at this point, even without me, someone does need to fill that niche. So that niche will always be necessary within that group. But there's like a million and one other teams within ExxonMobil that would not have cared about that aspect of my skill set at all. And it kind of could have gone to waste really. Yeah, wow. That's definitely uh, powerful, right? And I feel like it's very important. Any smart company, any smart organization, their goal is to try to hire smart people, right? Mm -hmm. They are not hiring you to spend all their time teaching you. They're hiring you because you have a skill set that's going to add value to their company, right? Mm -hmm. So something, something that, the thing that you did is powerful because you took on that role and the fact that you have that leadership, we're smart enough, right, to, to, to trust you with, your, with, with what you are bringing and let you fail a little bit and learn from it because they know that they can trust. I feel like that's powerful. Yeah, it definitely was very influential for me and hopefully in the trajectory of my career at in some later point in time, but I definitely owe a lot to, to both of them, really. Definitely. Amazing leadership. And uh, <clears throat> another side, one thing I want to talk about is the idea of, uh, I feel like there's a shift in mentality between the older generation versus the younger generation. About 50 years ago, many people after they graduate from college, the first, their goal is to find that niche company that they want to work for for the rest of their life. Mm -hmm. It's like a loyalty game. When you get in, you don't get out. You have to build all your career through that. But now many people are realizing that that's not the case, right? Many, many young people do not choose their first company as like the last company, is as the company they are hoping to retire from. Yeah, right. it's a stepping stone to, to the next one and learning. And I feel like now it has become a culture, but many people are not using it the right way. Some people are just saying, oh, I'll just go here two years, two years, without even trying to get what they are looking for from that specific company, mm -hmm. right? And, uh, Many people do not realize that the goal is not to get a job, but to build a career, right? Mm -hmm. the, the, the nice job with the nice salary doesn't matter if your <laughs> career is not built at all, right? Right, right. So, talk about that in terms of like adding the idea of focusing on that, having that big focus of building a career and making sure that you're getting whatever you need to get out of your journey and not just trying to get to that top. Sure. That's a very, again, like you were saying, interesting dilemma for more recent generations, like trying to figure out how to tailor make your own career, because like you mentioned before, and again, a big proponent of this kind of mindset is still ExxonMobil to this day of you join a company and you essentially join a company for life. And there can be some kind of master plan of career that may or may not be perfect for you, but it's what the quote unquote company expects will make you the best employee for that specific company. Um, and like you mentioned before, now I feel as though a lot more freedom is given to us as, at least I'll focus on right now my, my, uh, my thoughts on the engineering field. It's focused a lot more on like how we feel we can grow the specific aspects of our skill set that we care about, as well as what kind of companies can give us the experiences that we want at the specific time that we want it, right? Mm -hmm. So like given my own personal experience, right? I did want to at least understand what it was like to work for a bigger company, understand what it was like to work for this kind of like engineering sphere that is already a little bit more established, be able to 
have a little bit more quote unquote like security and stability. But then again, you have to figure out what is right for you in both timing as well as the kind of skills you want to grow as a professional. And for me, that meant, listen, I have already had a little bit of experience with water responsibility, but I have not had as much like experience with the kind of potential impact that I can really have as well as, again, like I mentioned before, a lot more like technical knit and grit as opposed to the more or less like more basic programming that I was doing for Exxon Mobil, right? For me, it was a lot more of like, okay, now I want to go a little bit deeper. I want to go and understand systems that I really only have like a very basic understanding of right now. And to speak more generally about this kind of like ongoing journey that we're all on right now, especially again, newer generations being able to jump from company to company. I do really like your thought on people are maybe doing that kind of not aimlessly, but without a true goal in mind. And even right now, like I don't have a, a 10, 15, 20 year like map in my mind of where I want to be going and like how I should be doing it. But it's to me, it's kind of silly to just say like, I'm going to be at company A, B and C for every two years, like no matter how well I'm doing, no matter what I'm like learning and stuff like that, I just want to consistently be shifting. I think it's honestly kind of beautiful that we have the freedom to do that and the ability to do that. But you should also be a little bit more conscious of why you're doing that and like why you're aiming for a specific company, why you're aiming for a specific role, because, and not to like knock anyone, but sometimes it's like, oh, it's just a bigger salary if I jump. And all I really yeah. care about is chasing that slightly bigger salary, even though it might be the same kind of work or it might be kind of work that is a little bit more boring to you, but you're saying, hey, if I don't do this, I'm not gonna raise my salary to the point where I want it to and then continue the kind of rat race to the, the salary increases that potentially come from jumping to different companies. Um, That's amazing. I think, yeah, a part, a, an important part of that decision is not just to jump for salary's sake, but to jump for not only like the skills that you want to grow, but also the kind of problems that you want to solve. Again, focusing on the engineering sphere. Like there's a lot of like really, really overpaid engineers that are solving problems that may or may not be really like that important, but it's allowing certain companies to make more money. And if you make more money, you can pay higher salaries. But like we have like an absolute ton of really smart, incredible engineers that in my opinion are spending time solving problems that really aren't making the largest impacts that they could have in the world. And that's fine and people have different reasons for doing so. But in the long run, I feel as though, especially as like we face stuff like climate change, again, we're facing this kind of pandemic that has been uh, essentially a result of a lot of the impact that we have hum as humans have had on the environment. It's like questions like that and problems like that, that I, in my opinion, require a little bit more engineering uh, force and engineering uh, perspectives that aren't mm -hmm. completely there because people are drawn more towards other field or not only other fields, but other industries, companies that potentially can give them bigger salaries. And again, some people just kind of chase that. That's powerful. That's powerful. And I feel like that is the dilemma that so many students is facing right now. Society is pressuring them in thinking about and just comparing themselves with that person next to them who got a big job, what's the big company, who right. can give the big salary, how can I look, right? And they forget that once they get that job, they have to love waking up every day and go to that job, mm -hmm. right? That's one of the things that they forget. And at the end of the day, the goal is the career, it's not the job, right? And knowing what you want to do, knowing your why is that thing that's going to allow you to annihilate that hard wall, right? It's not what you are doing or how you are doing it, it's why you are doing it. That's, mm -hmm. that's what's going to help you go through the struggle that you face. I know we came in hot with all these big topics, but <laughs> let's dial it down 
uh, a little bit and talk sure. about where you came from. Where, where, where were you born? Sure. So again, taking a big step back. Um, so I was born in Santiago, Chile. So born in South America, but we left when I was about two and a half years old to move to Miami, Florida within the States. Uh, my family's journey actually had brought them to the States even before that. So in around the 80s, my family moved to Chicago, actually. And that's wow. why of the four of us, one of my sisters is actually a legitimate U.S. citizen, like born here in Chicago. But then at some point in the 80s, they actually moved back. Or I think it might have been like 1990 that they actually moved back to Chile. And that's why I ended up being born in Chile. But again, kind of from what has been explained to me as... Um, attempting to create a better life for me and my siblings in terms of like the education that you can receive in the United States and the kind of opportunities that are available here that may or may not have been available to us like in Chile. So again, we moved back to the States in like 1999. So yeah, I was about two and a half, three years old. And then growing up in Miami to me was really, really cool because it's a very like multicultural kind of mecca, I feel as though. Um, especially within the United States, like you'll have a couple of, you have cities throughout the, the, the states that have similar kind of demographics, but I thought it was incredibly cool to like reflect on back when, eventually when I was in college to reflect back on like my friend groups in like elementary, middle and high school that were like very like ethnically diverse, very like background diverse of essentially like all different kinds of people, whether they're like Caribbean, whether they're, you know, like white from like European nations, whether they're like Hispanic from South America, Central America, um, black friends, white friends, like it didn't really matter. And that was kind of like really cool to me to reflect on after the fact, because again, when you're a kid, like you don't realize that kind of thing, right? You just like make friends with, with whoever's around you. But I think that was very valuable to me, uh, especially at the point that I am in my life right now to again, kind of gain a better perspective that I probably would not have had otherwise if I didn't have as much of a diverse kind of upbringing as I did. And like, yeah, living in Miami is kind of awesome. Like everybody always says like, oh, like if you're from Miami, you're essentially like living in paradise, right? Which is true to a degree. But when you're a kid, you don't really realize that as much. It's just like, it's like living in any other town really, except as soon as you get older, you start realizing like kind of the limitations of other places that aren't the same for Miami, right? You have this like downtown, you have beautiful beaches and stuff like that. But like at the end of the day, like when you're growing up and you're going to like elementary school and stuff, like you still do the same stuff that all the other kids do. You still want to go to the mm -hmm. park. You still want to do all that stuff. Um, but I am definitely grateful, I think, for my family's decision to move to the States because yeah. I definitely think that it has put me on a trajectory that I don't think I would have been on if I continued to live and go to school in Chile just because of like the smaller pool of schools and like the smaller, I guess, um, interests that I probably would have been able to go down. I feel as though within the States, it does give you a little bit more freedom if you are given kind of that like quote unquote golden ticket to mm -hmm. exercise whatever kind of field that you want to go into, right? Like I feel very blessed and very fortunate to be able to go down this field of engineering and get to the point where I'm at because mm -hmm. I feel as though a lot of people don't really have that same opportunity. A lot of people don't get that lucky. And yeah. that's something that I've been reflecting on a lot very recently as well of just making sure that I'm always reaffirming that like I am very lucky to be in the position that I am and this very mm -hmm. easily could not have happened this very easily could not be the case and Definitely. you got to take that goodwill and essentially keep paying it forward I'm always trying to like pay it forward in some degree 
Um, definitely. I, I definitely feel that many times I, so, some of my friends ask me, why do I always keep going and say yes uh, to things? It's, I feel <laughs> like me saying no to an opportunity is insulting all my friends who are so smart but never will get the opportunity that I get. Mm -hmm. Right. So when I came to the U.S., every resource I get, I feel like I have to make something out of it or I'm insulting everyone else. Uh, mm -hmm. And talking about uh, what did I was thinking? I'm thinking that your dad, one time he just dreamed uh, my kid going to be that big CEO one day. We need to go to the U.S. <laughs> <laughs> it's, a potential. it's potential. Yeah. <laughs> there's some potential there. I mean, there's always like talk now of like, oh, like this. My, my son now is going to be like this big name like when my, my when they told my grandma that I was like graduating as a chemical engineer they're like oh he's gonna like solve all these like diseases and as soon as like coronavirus came out they were like oh he's gonna solve it and I'm like not not exactly like there's a lot of like steps between <laughs> here and there but they, um they, they can be speaking thing to existence coding and this kind of stuff <laughs> is very related but that is powerful the ability of I feel like one of the biggest thing that everyone need mm. belongingness. Everybody in this world need a sense of belongingness. Everybody want to be part of a group, want to know where they came from. And I, I feel like having a, an amazing family, uh, as you as you are talking about, and, and having people that believes in you, whatever you want to <clears> do, they're just there clapping for you. I know you're gonna get it done. Or they can't even speak things like this. I feel like that's powerful. And, and you talked about that. Talk about how your family molded you into the person you are today. For sure. I mean, I definitely see both my siblings and my parents like kind of filling out the building blocks of who I am now, who I am as a person in terms of my personality, my drives and stuff like that. Um, going through like my siblings, uh, the sister that's closest to me in age, she's six years older than me, her kind of like life goal and like life drive right now is focus on education specifically special education and she's actually completing her phd in that um and i feel as though from what i what i draw from that is her incredible patience um to deal with not only students but especially students that have special needs that again takes a lot longer to kind of get to that same point but it's worth it in the end right like they still have the same potential as any other student it's just specific mm. kind of they're specific <clears throat> aspects that you need to change up about your approach in order to get that across. And I definitely mm -hmm. feel as though she has an incredible amount of patience and incredible amount of just compassion for everybody else on this like journey that we're on as another sibling. So six years older than her. So 12 years older than me is um, again, my other sister. And so she is kind of like this incredible communicator to me. That's at least how I've always seen her when I was younger. She is specialized right now in like public relations um, but it, to me, it always felt as though she could make a friend wherever she goes, right? She was definitely one of those where a freshman in high school and she was already getting invited to prom and like all that kind of stuff. So to me, it always felt as though she, if she could walk into a room and make, friend, make friends with like literally anybody else in the room, I wish I could do that same kind of thing. And my brother, who's 50 years, 15 years older than me, again, like the eldest of the family, I always saw him as kind of like for, you know, lack of a better phrasing, like the leader of our family for a lot of the time. Um, mm -hmm. It seems as though he always kind of like has it all together, has it all figured out. And I've always been very impressed by that aspect of him where he just like has this incredible ability to like rally the troops to make sure we're all going, going well. And if we're not to like figure out why and to plan all the things that make our lives just like that much. And then, I mean, your parents are your parents, right? So 
I would definitely say that from my mom, it's kind of this like love and similar to my sister, my, my sister left close to me, this kind of compassion for people and this ability to always think of someone else and think of those that have less, even when you yourself may not have a ton to give. Um, mm -hmm. Always be thinking about like, oh, what kind of clothes can you donate to the homeless? What kind of like electronics do we have to give? Like always looking for that way to better somebody else, even when like you yourself may not be at 100%. And I think that at times could be a downfall also if you, have, if you spend no time on yourself, but it's very, again, commendable to be able to say like, I will do whatever I can for those with less than me because I know I'm just slightly luckier than they are. And if I was not slightly luckier than they are, I would have been at the same place. So I definitely find that um, a big drive for me. And then my father, who the way that I see it kind of is very, very resilient. He's very, very been, he's, he's, he's very much been kind of unlucky, I would say in a lot of ways, but he continues to push through and like essentially never gives up. Like I definitely feel as though if I had as many like hardships and downfalls as he had, like, I don't think I would have had the kind of fortitude to continue going <clears throat> the same way that he has. And I definitely think that that is something that I hope to continue going forward in my life and have that same kind of ability to take those kinds of hits and continue going. Um, again, my kind of <laughs> hits may be different than him, but that the, the ability to continue coming back, even when you've kind of hit like pretty low lows is something that I would look forward to in my own future. So definitely it's, it's amazing to have a village. It's amazing to be from something. That's amazing. So you were born in Chile and you got to grow up in Miami yep. and eventually you went to college in uh, Pittsburgh. Pittsburgh in Pittsburgh. So when did you feel like, when did you realize the idea of being a minority and that you do not have all the privileges that everyone else has in a way? That's a, that's a pretty good question. <laughs> when did you feel it? <laughs> I definitely don't think I really internalized it until I went to college. Again, like mm -hmm. I mentioned before, I was very fortunate to grow up in a place where it wasn't very strange to be Hispanic. It wasn't very strange to walk around and just hear people speaking Spanish, whether it be at the grocery store, whether it be just walking around random parts of Miami. Um, but then you take that and you go to Pittsburgh, which on its own is very much diverse in different ways, but I would say it has a much lower probability of finding another Hispanic person. And then mm -hmm. couple that with going to a private institution like Carnegie Mellon, that the demographics there, I think if I, and don't quote me on this is around three to 4% Hispanic. So again, the probability drops very rapidly, whether or not you'll like run into and hang out with Hispanic people just through random interactions. Mm -hmm. um, and I'm lucky in that I was able to find a couple of friends and like expand that network at least a little bit more of just, again, being able to be around Hispanic people. Mm -hmm. But specifically to your question, like my freshman year, it was very much jarring to, again, think of yourself as an outsider instead of part of the in-group both from a minority point of view where I'm Hispanic, but I'm a white passing Hispanic. So I don't have essentially all of the same stigmas around it, but I still do feel different. There's still very much aspects of my culture that I really don't see anywhere else. And take that and couple with the fact that both from an ethnic perspective, but also from like an economic perspective, I'm surrounded by people that are a lot better off than me. Again, going to a private institution like that some people go in because you have an incredible amount of scholarship, which I was able to receive. And sometimes you go in because your parents were able to make very educated decisions and be able to pay for that almost entirely out of pocket. Two very different camps and that creates two very different routes to getting to the same place. Mm -hmm. um, and, and though I felt 
a decent amount of difference between myself and a lot of the people that I was going to classes with. I also kind of had this like breakthrough probably closer to the end of freshman year where it was like, though we are all from these very different places and though at times I feel very much as like the other as I don't have the same kind of shared experiences everybody else has. Yeah. College is also like the great equalizer though, right? College also allows us all to be kind of like lost freshmen and have to figure it out on our own. And everybody's mm-hmm. dealing with like very, sometimes very similar, but also sometimes very different problems, but we're all kind of dealing with our own individual problems and starting trying yeah. to figure it out together. And I felt that was kind of how I was able to get over this hump of feeling like I was different, feel like, like I was other, feeling as though because I do not share the same background, I will be more likely to fail, which I do think mm-hmm. happens a lot of the time with minority students in kind of like more competitive education spaces within the United States. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> yeah, yeah, definitely. And I know definitely it's evident that you were always smart growing up. That's not, that's not the problem. Sure. <laughs> and I feel like from the, from the family that you came from, they taught you confidence, right? You never wonder that you, 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 never, you never had in your head that you, there's something that you cannot accomplish, right? But in a place like Carnegie Mellon, uh, where it's very minority, and as you said, a lot of people that, that act and uh, live different than you, did you feel any kind of imposter syndrome? Oh, for sure. But that's like an understatement. Like I felt, I feel as though no matter where you are from, going to Carnegie Mellon will usually lead to you feeling imposter syndrome at one point or another. My imposter mm-hmm. syndrome may be a little bit more related to my background and kind of the things that I was facing. But again, you kind of feel that even if you are from that same kind of background, but you're not doing as well as people from your background. And that also kind of may trigger some kind of imposter syndrome. For me, that mm-hmm. kind of doubled up. As a small anecdote, like my biggest imposter syndrome was my very first semester, my first math class, right? Calculus 3D. Again, this like fundamental class that every engineer has to take eventually. Um, so I'm in this class. It's one of my like first college courses. And my first exam just absolutely destroys me. And I got a 50%. And I'm like, yeah. so I'm definitely not <laughs> going to do well. You're like, I'm just definitely not going to be like cut out for this kind of stuff. And yeah. again, it's your first exam. So like there's a lot of other stuff around it. But I'm like, if all the other exams are like this, like I am not set up for this like I am kind of like not going to succeed here luckily that was not the case clearly now but at the time like that's not something that's aware to me but I feel as a lot of people have that same kind of experience in their own way whether it be classes whether it be balancing your social life with your academic life a lot of these different triggers will lead you to say like am I really cut out for this am I like really be am I really going to be able to succeed in this and like get to the end of my undergraduate and get my undergraduate degree and all of that but it's, it's like you said before, it's this sense of belonging that can kind of help you pull through that in addition mm-hmm. to some other stuff. But I definitely think in my case and in a lot of other cases with my friends around me that being able to have people to rely on, being able to have people to tell your story to, and being able to have people that, again, are sharing in your same kind of problems will really help you in maybe not solving problems one by one, but as a whole, trying to push yourself forward through the kind of difficulties that you face, especially within the college context. Like there are so many other people facing very similar problems as you that if you kind of band together, you can kind of sort through the craziness and get Mm -hmm. out on the other side together. And I think without that, if you're a little bit more solo, if you don't have the the luck to find a really good core group of friends, that's gonna be a lot more difficult for you. And again, I'm, I'm always gonna reflect on this as like, I am very fortunate in the circumstances that I was put into 
and the kind of friends that I made and the kind of positions that I put myself in because it allowed me to push through and succeed in a lot of ways. But that also means that I failed a lot too. I definitely mm -hmm. failed a lot throughout all of college. And I, I, are there things that I wish I could have done a little bit better? hundred percent. But at the end of the day, like even the stuff that you did poorly, it's only, it gets that much better if you did poorly, but there's still people that were in your corner after the fact, or there were yeah. people kind of helping you out. And even though you failed, you learn, you learn an absolutely ton, no matter what you succeed or fail on. Um, definitely, definitely, definitely. And I feel like failing is, is an opportunity to learn. Like you're not going to learn anything from succeeding all the time, even though you don't want to be the one failing. It's not right. comfortable, but it's definitely important in everyone's journey. Let's talk about one of your favorite subjects, coding. So <laughs> <Sure>. <laughs> chemical engineering it was your major in Carnegie Mellon, but you decided to do a computer science minor and you, you, you mm -hmm. got interested into coding. Uh, and I never seen anyone explain, maybe I haven't met so many people, so many coders, but I never see anyone explain coding in a way that I understand it so much uh, than you. And I'll take that talk as a about that. <laughs> yeah, what make it what make it so attractive? What make coding so attractive to you? So before I answer that, I do want to address something of the first class that kind of got me inspired into programming is this class called 15.112 Principles of Computing at Carnegie Mellon, right? And like most classes, they have TAs, right? Like teachers assistants, and there's an entire kind of ecosystem of them at our school. And it's just very funny that you say that I have been able to explain like code to you in a way that you can actually understand and find very valuable because mm -hmm. I failed that interview to actually become a teacher's assistant for that kind of class. So it's, it's, it's great. I'm grateful that that hasn't stuck with me and that I'm able to kind of take my failures and turn them into successes. Like we were saying before. Um, mm -hmm. So I just find that kind of funny that I may have yeah. stuck at it back then, but I guess I'm a little better at it now. Um, but to better answer your question right now, it's like, I see it as, and again, this is kind of why I've stuck with it during my undergraduate, though I was a chemical engineer, computer science and software engineering is a field that you can really create whatever the hell you want, given enough time and get a, given enough effort. And that's not something I really felt within chemical engineering. And I don't know if that's really something that you can get out of a lot of other majors, right? So like, as an mm -hmm. example, me who knew absolutely nothing about programming going into Carnegie Mellon, knowing absolutely nothing going into the second semester where I was kind of thrown into my first like programming course. At the end of that, I was able to point at something that I made. I was able to create a game, a game that I had played growing up and I kind of put my own spin on it and kind of put my own flavor on it with like music and, and visuals and all this stuff and like point to something and say like, like I created a game. I created a game that I would love to play myself. And that to me kind of triggered this kind of, this waterfall of if I was able to do that with absolutely no knowledge beforehand, what else can I do with this? What else can others wow. do with it? and stuff like wow. that. And that's what kind of got me into that track of, let me continue taking these kinds of courses. Mind you, chemical engineering, as you already know, is an incredibly difficult major and computer science is like no cakewalk. So I definitely didn't do myself any favors, but mm -hmm. I definitely think I got a lot out of the classes that I took, not only for the kind of things that I was able to create, but also the difference in how your brain has to work when you have to think about logic and you have to think about kind of bits to some degree and you have to think about okay given these set of instructions like how am I gonna get this like final answer that I want out of it it's not really something that you have to think about as explicitly as you do when you program right because mm -hmm. for other stuff you can kind of like 
make a little bit more guesswork out of it. Like there was rarely a chemical engineering exam where I had to get like the absolutely perfect answer. It's like kind of the approach would give you points and the, um, the methodology. And if you were able to figure out the kind of equations that you had to use, like that helped you out. But for programming, like there will almost always be like one singular answer or yeah. there might be different approaches to get that answer, but you can like spit out one singular answer. Um, and like how you get there is kind of the artistry of it. Yeah, I know. I know the versatility of coding is definitely vast. But what are what are some some kind of problems that you can use coding to solve? Like, what are some cool stuff you can do with coding? From the most basic of like entertainment point of view, there's a lot of like fun small gimmicks that you can go through with coding. Like you can create like I did when I first started, just create little games that are fun to play, fun to pass the time, and allow you to create a small escape from maybe something that's a little bit more um, time consuming or something that's a little bit more imposing to you. It's fun to create these little distractions for yourself and say like, hey, I made this thing or hey, I made this thing for other people to play so that they can have a little distraction. You mm -hmm. build off from that and you can create very important educational tools. So you maybe start off with this little game, but expand upon that game and it might teach someone how to use a keyboard. It might teach someone mm -hmm. how to do arithmetic. It might teach a variety of different things. And there's definitely a huge expanding space for like ed tech, educational tech to yeah. grow and be able to create a different way to learn that I think is only becoming more apparent now that we should be leveraging, right? We're living in this age of constantly zooming and constantly trying to figure out new ways that um, allow us to teach future generations may or may not be in person. So this like educational tech sphere allows you to do that a lot more effectively if we put the time and effort into growing that area. Um, take a step beyond that. And there's also like a lot of important advancements that need to be made to allow us to more effectively transition to a, a future where we are a lot more sustainable. So there's problems that you need to solve in terms of maybe you create AIs that allow you to better monitor a lot of processes and allow you to run a lot more efficiently. And in this case, efficient, efficiently being without as much waste as you're using right now and create programs that allow you to, I don't know, connect a bunch of different devices that give you information that you may not have had otherwise. Um, one of, there's different companies creating what's called like internet of things, right? So this internet of things allow you to, like I mentioned before, better monitor things and allow you to better, um, more accurately pinpoint where devices are so that again, you're not misplacing things. You're not, you're not, you're not causing a greater impact from the resources that you use up as you would have otherwise without this kind of interconnectedness. So that's the kind of problem that's solved there. And like the scape is like, like as, as you mentioned before, kind of incredibly vast. And you can talk about the improvements that could be made to um, even algorithms that are trying to predict how to create the next medicine. There's a lot of models built around that. Like how do you, recently there was this breakthrough in like protein foldings that could be incredibly useful in the future. Like a lot of that stuff is built off these building blocks of programs that are trying to do specific things. Um, and my mind drawing out a blank now, but there's like so many different paths you can go down. Yeah. I definitely feel as I've only scratched the surface for a lot of them. That is amazing. And you definitely <clears throat> uh, got me interested in it. And I really recommend every single parent, one of the smartest things that they can do is to get their kid uh, in coding early. I know I we're trying to, we, we, I <clears throat> mean, we, we have been trying to reduce uh, screen time for kids. 
And since they're going to use their iPad and tablets anyway, might as well get them <laughs> using it for some good uh, like coding. And talking about problem solving, though, there are so many, there are a variety of issues <clears throat> that are out there that need to be solved. And as we talked about earlier, many smart people are working on the wrong thing, right? right? And many companies are led by board, by, by a team of board members who usually uh, are brought by each other and they have the same agenda. And uh, the agenda, the priority is not to solve the specific problem, but to make money, to yeah. be honest, right? And one of the issues, another issue is that even if that team of board members is focusing on a big problem, it's not diverse. And I feel like diversity is definitely gonna lead to diversity in thinking, diversity in ideas, which definitely gonna be a major, right? For uh, in terms of problem solving. What is your vision in terms of, uh, what's the ideal uh, board member team for you? We, just thinking about one of the biggest issues in the world, what would be that perfect board member team for you? I mean, the makeup of, board teams should be, again, very, very different than what they are now. I think we need a lot more, like we mentioned before, ethnic diversity in, in boardrooms. I feel like, again, the kind of stereotypical board member is older white man. And I think we need to change everything about that. I think we need younger people in the boardroom. I think we need a much more higher percentage of women in the boardroom. I think we need a lot more black, Hispanic, Asian, like entrepreneurs and CEO types to be in that room. Because like you mentioned before, though, you may have like a quote unquote successful business and you might have a successful boardroom. If everybody looks the same as you, you don't even realize the problems that you may not be solving, or you may not even be realizing the things that you could be doing to a potentially make yourself more profitable, but also make yourself more viable in terms of the kind of problems that you should be solving. Exactly. And if you have the same kind of echo chamber that you were mentioning before of pulling in someone that has a similar background as you pulling in someone that you already know, you kind of agree with, you're just creating this consistent feedback loop of, hey, I think this thing and this person agrees with me and the next person agrees with me. And you never really have that kind of conflict that's necessary to create the more impactful change, I would say, and the kind of change that will allow your company to be more successful than it would have been otherwise, which is a lot of the time just staying the course, unless you get kind of a, like a very fundamentally different CEO or a very fundamentally different boardroom, then you start to see these kind of changes that say like, oh, how do we push ourselves farther into the future? How do we combat the kind of problems that we even thought about before, like climate change, like, um, like just different aspects like that. Um, so yeah, my ideal boardroom yeah. would have a lot less, a lot more women and a lot less old white men. <laughs> Definitely. And I feel like you cannot solve a problem that you do not know of. Right. Right. If you have a room full of people who grew up in the suburb of uh, town America, right. You cannot, you cannot have those people focusing or figure out a way figure out the best solution for a problem that is happening in the street that I grew up in, in Guinea, right. West Africa, right. right? So even though you are aware of the problem, doesn't mean that you know it enough. And, some, and the best solution is not the solution that you think of, it's the solution that the people need. And right. no one knows about that solution more than the people who are undergoing through the issue by themselves. And right. the way we get there is it bettering the pipeline of how people get into those boardrooms. Like, a lot of that starts off with more fundamental education because mm -hmm. when you educate people about their opportunities and the possibility for them to become CEO, CTO, whatever it may be, you increase their probability of actually getting there. A lot of people growing up don't even realize that's an opportunity that has itself open to them until it's quote unquote too late or 
they're already down some different paths that may be equally as important, but they could have made an incredible CEO. They just didn't realize it at the time. Exactly. That is powerful. Ben, what is your why? What do, what, why do you rise every day to chase your dream? My why, I would definitely say, is trying to, A, make at least some corner of the world slightly better than it was before and make people's lives slightly better than it was the previous day. Because I definitely think that I was given this, like, quote unquote, like, gift of life that if I don't make at least some kind of use of it, and I know you feel similarly, we've talked about this before, and I think you are making an incredible amount of impact even right now, and you are just going to increase that impact, which is mind-boggling to me. But in my own smaller ways, I definitely feel as though I'm trying to make people smile every day, make people laugh every day, make important contributions at work every day that may make somebody else's job a little bit easier, make their day a little bit nicer, um, be friendly to people when you go to a restaurant, be friendly to servers, like just little things like that, that try to add up that I definitely think I've gotten a lot of that from like my family of just how to be respectful, but also very compassionate for everybody else that you run into because you don't know anybody else's story. Even if someone's being, as an example, let's say your server was incredibly bad, very terrible service, like you may say, oh, that's because they're a bad server, but they may have just had a really bad day or they may have mm-hmm. had a, a really bad day before and that's causing their work to suffer the next day. And honestly, at the end of the day, like you can only judge someone from the kind of actions that you have with them, but you don't know their story enough to really paint that full picture. And yeah. that's something that I try to keep in mind of not jumping to conclusions the first or even the second time I meet someone, but trying to give someone enough chances to prove that they are um, the kind of person that I want to continue like hanging out with or having interactions with. And they may not be, and that's fine. But again, trying to keep an open mind and trying to, like I mentioned at the very beginning of this answer to like why of just try to make the world at least slightly better than it was the day before. Cause there's plenty of people that are doing the opposite. There's plenty of people that are making the world a little bit worse every single day. So just try to combat that in any way you can, even if it's incredibly small, like say hi to someone that you wouldn't have otherwise say, thank you, say, like hold the door open, just like these really small random acts of kindness that could add up. And then potentially you can make big changes if you're the CEO of a company and you're like, you know what? We are going to combat racial injustice in America. We are going to combat the ongoing climate changes that we're facing right now. And maybe you get to the point where you can answer those kinds of questions and be that CEO or be that member in the boardroom. But even before you get there, just like smaller things every day that make other people's lives easier. Definitely. Thank you so much for taking your time and listening to this episode. I hope you enjoyed it. If you feel like this episode has helped you in any way, share it with a friend, family, or loved one. Before you leave, make sure to subscribe for more.